Welcome to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. This ain't your grandma's podcast. Welcome to episode 2 of the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. This week I'm actually going to get into some real content and no more introductions. We're just going to get right to it. As before, this week's episode is brought to you by 5MinuteBibleStudy.com. Go to 5MinuteBibleStudy.com and check out the articles page of the website. So just as a heads up, if you go on your desktop, there's going to be a little strip at the top of your screen. It's going to have about four different lines. Click on that. That's the drop-down menu. It should look very similar at the top of the home page on your phone as well. Uh, on that, you're going to see 5-Minute Bible Series video articles. Click on articles, and that's the one I'm featuring this week. I just wrote an article, and that's going to be the main dish topic for this uh, episode discussion. But on there, I have... I don't know how many articles. There's probably over around 30 or so. Um, several of these have to do, you know, they originally started with uh, Bible study tips. But as, you know, time went on and this website has evolved, I had people asking me different questions and stuff. So there's questions on there. A lot of those to do with like uh, dating, sexual morality. Uh, I wrote one last month about the sin of safe sex, that argument that surrounds that. I have a whole series on there about, is America a Christian nation? There's a couple, uh, two or three articles on there about the Bible class model. Just go on there, check it out. There's a whole lot of different things you can look at and see if you're interested. Read it. Most of those, or I should say some of those, in the last year or so, I started adding an audio clip to. So you can not only read it, but if you're going down the road, you can click on that and consume the content on the audio while you're driving. So that's this week's feature to the website. Um, just giving you a little preview of what we're looking at today. Uh, glad you came back. If you're listening to episode one, this is kind of this is it. We're getting started here. We told some Bible stories last week. Um, we'll get into that after this preview. I'm going to tell you the Bible story of Elisha and the case of the miraculous water. Um, after that, there will be a not a Q and A segment. Like I said, the Q and A segment will be inner. Uh, twine with what I call the main dish, where it's just some topic that I choose to cover that day. Well, this week, I'm going to cover a, a topic, and I'm going to cover an article that I just posted this week, and that is before you begin your Bible study. Some stuff that you need to consider before you start setting goals for Bible study, Bible reading, all that good stuff. It's kind of a motivational talk. I've been in the gym recently and trying to stay motivated, and I'm doing really well. Part of that is I'll go to YouTube and I'll type in motivational videos. And you kind of have to triage through the ones that have bad language, but uh, when you find good ones, and it's not hard to find, man, you know, you just get in there and you're pumped and you're ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is kind of my hype video. I mean, it, you know, it's really just speaking facts, just throwing nails at you. Uh, it might hurt a little bit. It's what you need to hear, but it's, yeah, it's what you need to hear. Get on it. And uh, this is the stuff you need to know before you start making your Bible study goals. Let's get it. We're going to get it in just a minute. Um, after that, I'll tell you one funny story, foot and mouth syndrome story from my past. And that'll round out this week's episode. So I hope you learned something. Every episode, I hope that you learn something. I hope that you're entertained a little bit. You know, uh, we want to keep this kind of light as much as we can. And I, I please recommend this. Follow the podcast. Share it with others. Uh, tell people about the website. Use it yourself. And hopefully this whole effort is a glory to God. Enjoy the episode this week. And that donkey got up not too far away from that angel of the Lord. Send me a man to fight with me. Esau, let me tell you a story. that will prove to you that I can defeat that giant. And he said, no, I can't do that. You're my master's wife. 
Welcome back for another segment of Bible Stories, a five-minute Bible study podcast. Today, I'm going to be telling you the story about Elisha and the case of the miraculous water. This is a little bit more obscure story. Maybe you've never heard it before. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 3. So if you're interested, 2 Kings chapter 3. But I'm going to tell you this in a dramatized style. So here we go. There was a king of Israel. Israel had been divided years ago into the north and the south. Israel to the north had nothing but bad kings. And one of the worst kings in Israel's history was King Ahab. Yeah. Well, King Ahab had just passed away not long before this story, and Jehoram was his son. And Jehoram, he was just about as bad. In fact, the Bible says that he continued in the sins of Jeroboam, the first king to introduce idolatry into the nation of Israel. And uh, Jehoram wasn't, he was a little bit less bad than Ahab, but he wasn't a whole lot better. Anyways, the Bible says that Misha was the king of Moab, a Gentile nation, a neighbor of Israel. And while Ahab was alive, he was afraid of King Ahab, and King Ahab had him under tribute so that he would give to King Ahab regularly every year 100,000 sheep and the wool of 100,000 rams. That's a lot when you think about it. But when Ahab died, he thought he would rebel against the, in his mind, lesser and weaker son of his, King Jehoram. So King Jehoram, he went out to get his tribute money from Misha, king of Moab, and he called to Jehoshaphat because he knew he was going to need some help. And King Jehoshaphat was the king of the south, the king of Judah, Overall, a pretty good king. And uh, he called it Jehoshaphat and he says, Are you going to go with me to fight against Moab? And Jehoshaphat said, I'll go up with you. I am as you are and my people as your people. And which way shall we go up? So they said, By the wilderness of Edom. And so they set out to head toward Moab. And they're on their horses and they got a big army. But as they go, it's a seven-day trip on this roundabout route. And there's no water. And on day five, these horses are starting to have leg cramps. The men are starting to fall off. They're starting to perish. And the people realize, King Jehoram and King Jehoshaphat realize, we ain't going to be worse squat when we finally get to Moab to try to take their kingdom. And so they stop their march and they pray to God. They say, what are we going to do? And uh, Jehoshaphat says to King Jehoram, he says, is there not a prophet of the Lord somewhere that we can consult? And one of the servants of King Jehoram spoke up from his horse and he said, uh, there, there's Elisha. There's Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He's here and we can go get him and, and he's a prophet of the Lord. Uh, he's the one that studied under Elijah, remember? And Jehoshaphat remembered that and he said, aha, yes, the word of the Lord is with Elisha. Go get him. And so the king of Israel sent some envoys to Jehoshaphat, or rather to Elisha, to go get him and consult as to What's the word of the Lord on this matter? When Elisha got word, I don't know, it doesn't say whether he traveled to actually see King Jehoram in the flesh or whether he just simply sent by word of messengers, but he said to him, he said, what have I to do with you, King Jehoram, you wicked king? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. He meant the false prophets of Baal. But the king of Israel said, no, for the Lord God has called He's called all of us together to fight against Moab, but he's delivered us to hunger and defeat. 
And we need to know what the Lord says. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives, surely were it not for Jehoshaphat being with you and being a righteous king, surely if it weren't for him being with you, I would not even look at you. But now bring me a musician. <laughs> and that must have been the most odd request of the times. They're like, uh, okay. So they bring a musician. And this musician starts playing. We'll just assume it was a harp. And he starts plucking on his harp. And the Bible says as he started playing that the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And the Lord said to Elisha, make this valley full of ditches. Tell King Jehoram to dig a bunch of big ditches all around in this valley that they're in. And tomorrow, there's not going to be any rain. There's not going to be any wind. But yet these ditches in this valley are going to be full of water. And the people are going to drink. And all their horses will drink. All their animals. And they will be restored to strength to fight Moab. And so, just miraculously, water was going to come out of nowhere. And so, what do you know? It happened in the morning. The Bible says when the grain offering was being offered that suddenly water came out of nowhere and filled all these ditches miraculously. And then there was the Moabites and they could see the valley around them where all these ditches were and they must have been wondering what's going on here. But in the morning, the king of Moab, he looked up and the Bible says that the sun was shining on the water that had filled those ditches just so that it looked like the water was blood. And when the Moabites saw the water in, and it looked like blood, they said, to the, this, is, this is blood. And the king said, surely they've killed each other and the valleys fill with the blood of their armies. Moab to the spoil! And so when they came to the camp of Israel, they rode out of the gates of the city and they rose up to attack. But when they got there, Israel was ready and they, it wasn't their blood, it was water. And they come up with their swords ready to fight, and they start clashing swords, and they defeat the Moabites with a great slaughter. And then they go into the city, and they start pulling the rocks of the city down and the stones down from each other. They stop up the springs of water. They cut down all the trees, and they sowed the valley with salt, and they defeated the Moabites overly handily. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew the sword to break through to the king of Eden for help. But the Bible says they could not. Then he took, this is the weirdest, worst, most devastating part of the story. He took his oldest son, who would have reigned in his place. And the Bible says that this wicked king of Moab put him on the wall of the city of Moab and burnt him as a burnt offering to his false gods. Ah, oh. and there was great indignation against Israel, the Bible says. And so Israel departed from the king of Moab and returned to their own land because of this wicked, terrible, just battle-ending deed that the king of Moab had done. But that is the story, what I call Elisha, in the case of the miraculous water. This episode is brought to you by Not My Sermon. Don't want to study for your own sermon? No worries. Not My Sermon has you covered. Now you can proceed to tell the church, sorry, I didn't have time to prepare, and then proceed to show it. Except now, you'll have the help of pre-made sermons from our large archive of messages. Our sermons even give you the prompts for when you should start yelling, banging on the pulpit, point with your index finger, or speak softly and gently. 
With Not My Sermon, you won't ever have to set time aside to study God's Word again. Say goodbye to making sacrifices and hello to more Sunday morning speaking appointments at other churches. Go to notmysermonfakenews.com to download your first sermon for free. Welcome to this episode's Main Dish. Today we're going to be talking about Before You Start Your Bible Study. This is an article I just wrote for 5minutebiblestudy.com, posted it this week, as I'm recording this episode, at least. This is actually something I wish I had written a long time ago, and I mentioned it on the first episode, mentioned it again, I, I did write a book, How to Study Your Bible, which is kind of a beginner's guide. If you don't know where to start, here's some things you need to consider in order, and really I wish I had made this the first chapter of that book. This is what you need to think about before you ever crack open a Bible. And who would have thought that starting your Bible study doesn't even start with the Bible? But I believe firmly that it doesn't. It starts with really thinking about what you're doing and how bad you want to do it. It's kind of the whole gist of this little idea. So I'm just going to basically go through with you some of the main content from this article. If you want to read the full article uh, go to 5minutebiblestudy.com, go to articles, and there you should see it before you start your Bible study. But anyways, getting into it, uh, yes, your Bible study starts before you even crack open your Bible. People have asked me, and, and this is one of the reasons I started this website, I started this resource. People all over the United States, um, I don't mean like by the droves daily, but you know, over the course of five, six, seven years, people ask me regularly, where do I need to start studying my Bible, Aaron? For whatever reason, they came to me to ask this question, and I initially would would point people to, I got in a, a little bit of a groove where I thought the best place to start was to go to Genesis and start reading from Genesis, whereas most people will point to Matthew, and I kind of worked through that. Um, they're both good places to start depending on what your game plan is, but not getting too much into detail about that. That was really, for somebody that's never read their Bible all the way through, or somebody that's not got a real idea of where to start. That's really the wrong answer, I believe. And so if, if by the way, somebody comes to you and asks you this question, hey, whatever your name is, where do you start studying your Bible? Um, that's, that's not a good place to start, to answer at least. And I'll tell you why. You may be scratching your head, but I'll tell you why. And I'm going to start off telling you a little story about myself. Several listeners may know that back in 2018, I believe it was, I almost drowned. Like I legit almost drowned in a river. Um, I was fishing. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story. That's not pertinent to why I'm bringing this up. But I almost drowned once. And as I was in the current, I was in this really strong current that was pulling me down inside a river just south of a dam. And as I was under that water, I went under for an extended amount of time. Um, and when I was under that water, I was thinking about one thing. I was thinking about getting air. And I struggled and I fought. And I mean, I didn't realize how much energy I expended until I got on the shore. I was, I was rescued. And when I was on the shore, I could barely stand. And then I started uh, hyperventilating because I had used so much energy and I was um, hypothermic and hypoxic. I was using every bit of my energy just to get air. I was not thinking about what I was going to eat for lunch that day. I really wasn't thinking about the 20-something sand bass that I had caught that had been swept away. At that point in time, that didn't cross my mind. Now, I did later. I was upset about that, but not in the moment of being under the water drowning. And another analogy. When I was in nursing school, there was I think it was my 
uh, sophomore, maybe junior year, I was in the third semester of nursing school, of pediatrics and obstetrics. And that was, for me, the most difficult semester of all. Most difficult because I had such little knowledge of those two fields of study. But then as you look at the test scores, it was the most difficult. The first two tests, I made under a 70. And in that program, less than a 75 was failing. You made a 74.9, you failed. You had to retake the semester and restart the program. So whenever I got to that second test grade and it came back to me, I was, I was just lost. I didn't know what I had spent hours and hours of studying. And it seemed like, to a degree, that I couldn't do anything more than what I had already done. And I was failing the class. How was I going to fix this? And you know what I did when I got that failing grade back? I quit my job. I got rid of my TV. I limited myself to no more than six hours of sleep per night so I could get in the library another two to three hours to study each day. I canceled my Facebook account. I canceled all my social media accounts. I told my friends I wasn't going to be able to hang out, you know, like get a hold of me next year. I did what I had to do to turn that failing grade into a passing grade. And I just immersed myself in the curriculum even more than what I already was, which was a ton. And the real reason I didn't drown that day, backing up, the real reason I didn't drown and I actually made it on shore, I mean, I had help, but the reason I didn't drown and the reason I didn't fail nursing school, I got those grades back up and I did pass, by the way, was because the number one priority in my life at that time was, in the first case, not drowning, in the second case, not failing. Now, those are very different from each other, those circumstances, but they both have a very common feature. And the fact was, I was hungry for air, and I was hungry to pass that class. I was hungry for success. Now, there's other factors involved, but the question of, am I going to understand the Bible? The biggest factor from the onset is, how hungry are you? If you want a 10-step guide to how to know the Bible quick, there isn't one. I mean, you might be able to learn a few of the key names of characters in the Bible, but you're not going to really understand the Bible. The question you need to be asking yourself is, exactly how much do I want to know, and how bad do I want to know it? And when you get that set in your mind, then somebody can give you a good little uh, meal plan, as it were. I call it a meal plan. You know, what you need to be eating spiritually every day to get to your goal where you want to get. And there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, they, they come to me and they say, hey, Aaron, you know, I've tried to read my Bible. I really have tried, and I just, I can't get past Leviticus or Job, or I really just can't get past the Gospels. And when I hear that, I think to myself, really, have you? And not trying to be overly critical of, of somebody, if you're listening and you are that person. Not trying to be overly critical, but think about it. I want you to be fair with yourself. Ask your question, have you actually really tried? How bad did you want to actually read your Bible? I'm going to give you a secret here. And that is that I do a lot of stuff from day to day. I think a lot of people think that I just have this innate energy that goes through me and just desire to get up every single morning and read my Bible. And it's just, ah, you know, I love it every morning. Well, as a general rule, I do today, as of you know this point in my life, enjoy a cup of coffee, sitting in my chair, reading my Bible. I've worked to the point where I enjoy that more days than I don't. But there's probably at least half of the days of the year, and due to circumstances going on in that week or that month or that day, that the first thing I want to do is not get up and read my Bible. I'm just being honest here, being real. That's not what I want to do. And there are a lot of days where that's the case. 
more than what people would assume when they look at me and when they talk to me about how Aaron, you just have so much drive and all that. Well, it's just not true. There are many days where I have to do what I don't want to do. And many times I'm studying for a lesson and I have to pour hours into that and I have to read things that I am done reading by the time before I'm even halfway done with the book. But I know I need to finish reading it in order to get out what I'm going to need to get out of it for whatever I'm studying for at the time. So many times... I have to do what I don't want to do because I know that I'm hungry for the end result. And that is, whether it's imparting knowledge to the congregation that I'm teaching, whether it's a Bible study that I'm trying to edify somebody, whether it's a personal goal, a success that I'm trying to reach, I have to pour in the time and do things I don't want to do and basically turn what I dislike into uh, something I like in terms of it's helping me reach my goal. And so... The things that you don't like, change your mind, change your perspective so that you don't really like it. If you get what I'm saying, but you know it's building success and so you're going to like it. Uh, You kind of make yourself do this thing that you really don't want to do in the moment. Well, uh, another going on with this idea and everything we've talked to to this point, you know, it's not the raw power of will that leads you to success. You know, I can't just sit in a chair and tell myself over and over, yes, I want to do this thing. And eventually, that creates some power of will that leads to the success that I have set you know, my goals toward. No, it doesn't work that way. It's what the power of will that you create in your mind, it's that, what that leads you to do that actually spells the real success. And I'll give you an example. When I was failing nursing school again, I wanted a passing grade very badly. And I thought I wanted to pass in grade badly the first two tests of the semester that I failed. And so then I had to ask myself after that, how badly do I really want that passing grade? Because at that point in time, I was almost ready to give up. But I wanted a 75, at least a 75 in that class, so badly that I started making real sacrifice. I took pleasure. I mean, I took pleasure, really. And I threw it out the window. And I hated the rest of that year. I did. I, I hated that I couldn't have fun. I hated that I couldn't hang out with people. I couldn't just do what I wanted to do. I had to spend time in those books doing what I hated in order to get the success that I wanted in the end. Temporary discomfort for long-term pleasure and success, which was passing school in that case. But lying in my bed just willing myself to succeed was not what turned my semester around. It was when my power of will, and if you know anything about uh, chemistry, that is potential energy. Potential energy is energy that's sitting there bottled up, ready to take on motion and action, but as long as it's not uh, activated, it's just sitting there. It's potential, but it's not really accomplishing anything. When I took that power of will, that potential energy, and I converted it into actual uh, sacrifice, that is kinetic energy, that energy then took on motion, it started working. So actual sacrifice, that's when I started to realize success. I didn't see the success right away. Of course, the first week, you know, I started studying harder and it would take uh, another few weeks before I would get a chance to put that knowledge to test again and and see, did I get any better? Did this extra time that I put in, did the sacrifices that I make, did those pay off? And when I passed school finally and I got my degree, I know because I heard it from people. Many people said it to me, Aaron, you're so smart. Aaron, you're, you're so naturally gifted. And if you listen to them, it, it sounded as if that I didn't have to bust my rear end to get that piece of paper. What I knew that they didn't know, because they were just looking at the end product, was that, no, Aaron was not smart. I mean, literally. I've not been just one of those people that is just naturally smart 
all this knowledge comes to me. That's uh, even, you know, my brother growing up, we were all homeschooled. He was more of that type of person, but not to take away from, he had to work hard and, and he's still a very diligent, hard worker. He, that knowledge and, and just uh, work ethic doesn't just come out of thin air. It's not just something he was born with. People that are successful are not just naturally gifted. Now, they might have greater abilities than others, generally speaking, but their success is not from some natural gift that they don't have to work at. No, I was not just smart. No, I was not just naturally gifted. I worked incredibly hard for that piece of paper. When you look at successful people in the Bible, and trying to make this Bible-focused, because this is a Bible podcast and this is a Bible subject, you know, before you start your Bible study, Daniel. Daniel was hungry. And I want to talk about, you know, your ambition, your drive. How bad do you want to do this in terms of hunger? I really like that, that concept, that image. Daniel 1 in verse 8 says about Daniel when he was in the king's court with his other friends that had been taken captive to Babylon. But Daniel purposed, that word right there, Daniel purposed, he made up his mind, he purposed in his heart, it says, that he would not defile himself with a portion of a king's delicacies. Daniel made up his mind that he was going to honor God. He wanted to serve God more than he wanted to breathe. And he was going to do that no matter how much pain, no matter how much suffering, no matter how much ridicule he got from the other king's uh, chief staff, whatever. He purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. How bad did he want to do it? That's how bad he wanted to succeed in his glorifying God. Joseph, it says in Genesis 39 verse 8, he refused, such a strong word, because he purposed, he refused to defile himself by sleeping with Potiphar's wife. He would not do it. And he, and he made up his mind before he even got in the situation that he would get himself into where she took his robe. He, he made up his mind. He was so resolved that he ran out stark naked. Because that's how much purpose was in his mind. Even if it led to his humiliation or his being fired and put into prison, he refused, he purposed in his mind to succeed. Jesus, it says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 23, when he was on trial and being killed, crucified, it says he committed himself to the Father. And when he was in that garden praying, he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, Lord, please. But he was so resolved that he said, if not thy will, let it be your will, not mine be done. He committed himself to the Father. He didn't just try. He did. That's how resolved he was. Moses forsook Egypt, Hebrews 11 says. He knew it would be difficult. He knew that he would leave a life, the only life that he knew. But he was so purposed in his mind, so committed. He was so hungry for God and God's people. That he could not sit idly by while they suffered at the hands of the king of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, the same people that were paying his education, as it were, and he forsook Egypt no matter the cost. These are not halfway examples. These are not guys that had their feet half in, half out. They said, let's do this, and they did it. And when we come down to making spiritual goals, whether it's reading your Bible, studying your Bible, knowing your Bible, growing in the fruits of the Spirit, and decreasing in the works of the flesh, and you're having the same problem year after year or commitment after commitment. First of the year, you make goals, you never follow through with them. You have to ask yourself, how bad do you really want it? Really, how bad do you really want it? And again, it's not the raw power of will. I want it really bad, Aaron. That's not going to convert to success. 
If you really want it that bad, Aaron, then you have that will lead you. Let me put it like this: that will lead you to make those hard sacrifices, where you throw out pleasure for a season, short-term, literal pain. You force yourself to go through pain because you want success that bad. You throw out the TV. You tell your friends, I'll see you next year. You get less sleep if you have to because you got to spend more time in the Word. You wake up and you read when you don't want to read because you know that that's what you got to do for success 365 days a year. And you can ask all the experts, what's the secret? The secret is never some simple 10-step program. It is a difficult, painful program that starts with you resolving, purposing, committing, being hungry, forsaking all the things that are filling up your life and putting your mind to, I'm going to do this every year. And I'll end on this and we'll be done with the the meat part of this podcast episode. Every year I make New Year's resolutions and I write those down. And at the top of that list every year is reading my Bible. I'm going, my dad inculcated this, this, um, practice in me to read my Bible through every year. And I owe that to him to have built that routine in me and my my other brothers and sisters, I believe. And, and so every year, that's at the top of my list. I'm going to read my Bible through that year. And if I get to a point in the year where I haven't read my Bible for a couple of days, and it's you know down to, I can either hang out with these people or I got to read my Bible because I've made this goal and I'm going to reach it, then I don't hang out with people until I've read my Bible and caught back up. I'm going to read my Bible. Now, I also make physical exercise goals. A lot of times throughout the year, those physical exercise goals do not get met. The reason why? Because they're not the top priority. They are a a priority. I wouldn't put them on my goals list, but they are not the top priority. And every year, nothing is going to overcome reading my Bible through that year because I know that that is key to my spiritual strength and to my spiritual success. That's never going to be trumped. That's going to be number one. Number two could be physical exercise, But really, there's going to be spiritual goals that trump that. My physical exercise goals will never trump number three on my priority list. It's always going to be two spiritual goals before my physical goals ever get even touched. And that's just the way it's got to be. That's the way, that's the only way that I can get to where I want to get and be the godly man that I know that God has called me and wants me and I must be. That's the only way I can put on the fruits of the Spirit and put off the works of the flesh. Not because I was born naturally gifted this way, because I've got to work. And part of that work is setting priorities in the first place and saying, I'm going to do this. Nothing's going to stop me. And you own your future. With the help of God, you own your future. So before you start reading your Bible, don't ask, where should I start reading? Ask yourself, how bad do I really want this? For this week's segment of foot and mouth syndrome, I'll tell you a story about something that I said in the pulpit. This really wasn't that long ago. Um, I, I really have a bad habit of saying things that get me in trouble with older members of the congregation. Um, I, tr- I kind of, you know, make little age jokes, and I, and I shouldn't. And sometimes they're like not actually intended age jokes. <laughs> but this one was kind of off the cuff, and typically when I don't have something in my notes and it comes to me in the moment while I'm preaching and then I state it, it usually ends up on, well, will end up on one of these segments. I was preaching, I don't even remember, I think it was about the biblical periods, and you know, I was talking about Genesis and the books, of the genealogies and Genesis and all that, and I was trying to think of something current to compare that to, 
I, I think that's what I was talking about. Well, anyways, as I'm standing there, I'm looking out in the audience, and I see several older members, and I'm not going to say what I mean by that. I'm not going to give you an age, because that's what gets me in trouble. And I didn't give an age. I just said, you know, some people, uh, it's like Ancestry.com or Ancestry.org. A lot of older people, they use that like it's Facebook and they use it like it's a social media account, like my meemaw. She uses face or Ancestry.org, and she's all about it. And when I said that, I was looking out, and I thought it was a pretty good joke. You know, I'm thinking, this is uh, not too much. It's pretty funny. Ancestry.org, but nobody is smiling. Like, okay, Ed Daniels is always good for a laugh, so Ed, if you're listening to that, yeah, I'm pretty sure that he was smiling, but he was like the only person over the age of 40 that was laughing about this, because the rest of them know it's true. And uh, anyway, even after the sermon was over, there were several people who were like, I wanted to laugh at that, but I just really uh, knew I shouldn't. It was funny. I don't regret it. Come on. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. Hope you can say you learned something. Hope I've motivated you to start asking the question, how badly do I want to know my Bible better? Do I want to grow in Christ? Do I want to fill in the blank? Also, if you got a little chuckle at my expense, it's all the better. See you next time for episode three coming up next week on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast.